Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Do I have to say, I'm Don Stoner over here? Do you take care of that? Uh, You have to say, I'm Don Stoner. Oh, I'm Don Stoner. Oh, and I approve approve of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, he doesn't approve of the podcast. Who does? Dude, I love how Don comes on this morning before you were here, Peyton. And the first thing he says is, you ever have anyone say to you, do you believe the first 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis? I'm like, it just goes right into it. It was just, I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. Let me get my Bible out here. Well, I want to know, Peyton, did you, have you ever heard anyone say that? Or is that just me that people say that oh, too? Oh yeah, totally. Heck Why yeah. do they say 10 or 11 chapters? It's because Abraham picks up the, the narrative of Abraham's story picks up at the end of chapter 11. And then we're away. We're off to the races. But Why the beginning of that. Why don't we know whether it's chapter 10 or chapter 11? If it's Abraham, that would be chap- the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Yeah, it's the, is, isn't Abraham introduced at the end of chapter 11? Am I right? Oh, isn't I'm genealogy In the genealogy chapter 11, or is that 10? I get my pay legs and my genealogies confused, I must confess. Well, let's see, chapter 10, we go from, uh, yeah. We, we <laughs> well, I, I don't mean to be all particular down. here, yeah, but it's I was Abram, say. not Abraham. Oh, good point. oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Welcome to the Bible Snobs podcast. This is Peyton Jones. So here's the thing. Um, guys, let me tell you, you are in for a crazy time with a crazy mad scientist. We are on again with Don Stoner. If you missed our last episode before we went on vacations, 
because both of us were away. Pete's like, I can't do the podcast. And I never tell Pete when I can't do the podcast. At least and you in a didn't tell Don time. when you couldn't do the podcast. Yeah, unfortunately, Don showed up without Pete and I there. And uh, so that, 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 that was a little egg on my face. But, uh, but anyways, here we are. We are going to, this is part two or part du, to use the other part of French that I kind of remember. Dose. And, uh, so, yeah, well, it's, it's toi for you and du for me. I'm so, try. <laughs> nice. I get that wrong. Bust out that German. All mad scientists have to know German. Hard, so we are in here. <laughs> You're going to start busting out like Persian. I'm sorry. No, I don't know Portuguese. And all right. So here we go. Don is one of the smartest people we know. As you can see, uh, he, he knows more than one language, which for Pete and I makes him a genius, but cards printed. (laughs) Well, we are on, we are on (laughs) Don Stoner genius. We are on with Don and we're here to talk about how to talk with uh, a scientist, how to talk with people that are scientifically inclined. Obviously, our, our world is a mixture of people that claim to be scientific, but are a hodgepodge of science and superstition, much like the early church that the gospel took root in. So we want to learn how to have those conversations well, avoid the pitfalls, and we're going to learn from Don today. So Pete and I get to sit back and enjoy the good life. So Don, the floor is yours, and let's get back to those first 11 chapters of Genesis. Okay, I suspect that the the reason for saying 10 or 11 is not to draw anyone's attention too closely to the contents of chapter 11 itself specifically, or particularly, I almost hybrided those two words, or maybe I did, Um, specifically 11 verse 9, which says God came down and scrambled all of the languages. So, what language were they speaking before then, and was anyone still speaking it afterward? Well, if we believe God scrambled all of the languages, we believe that they weren't speaking whatever they were speaking before, afterward. Now, it turns out we have recorded history that goes back to when the languages were scrambled, and it actually explains that uh, people used to speak the same language and don't anymore in Akkadian, and it was ancient Sumerian they were speaking before that. And they actually, uh, there there were some people who figured out one way or another how to read or understand it afterward, but most everyone didn't afterward. And I just happened to have a Sumerian lexicon here, so I can- Oh, wait, I think I've got one of those on my desk too. Uh, Let me see if I can find mine. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll give you a moment to look for it. (laughs) And um, a book here that's a really cool one, Ancient Records, Akita, Understanding Genesis. That looks good. T.J. Wiseman. It's a, a great book. Uh, after you read the, the one and, um, and start working your way through the Sumerian, you can actually Did you say Silmarillion? Uh, close, but no, that would have been Tolkien. Uh, I know. Is, it's about the elves and the magic tree and... Where not, Bilbo goes when he dies? Not to be confused with Samaritan either. It's ancient Sumer, which spoke Sumerian. You have to be careful how uh, to My friends it. like to say Sumerian. 
Sorry. You know, Don, we're punks, right? So we're going to, we're going to punk this whole time. We are well, learning. I got the, to be uh, an honorary punk two years, uh, two weeks ago. Let's get the units right. That's here. true. That's true. You were in a church plant with us. So this is, this is why we're totally at home with you. Normally we'd be very intimate. I go, I go. So, uh, Peyton didn't, uh, didn't call you to tell you you weren't recording last week. <laughs> I'm so I sat it. here for an hour wondering what was going on. <laughs> I must have done something wrong. <laughs> yes, uh, you broke our podcast on your first appearance, and uh-huh. you're no longer. So it didn't exist last week. That's what we were hoping you would think. I broke well, our podcast. I've lost my train of thought completely. Maybe it's still boarding. Way to go, station. Peyton. Way to go. Yeah. Okay. We're in ancient Sumer, and it, the... One question that should occur to everyone is how on earth would they have understood their written languages from before when their languages have been changed? So they have a bunch of records. They specifically have chapter 10, which you were talking about all the genealogies written in Sumerian. And here we are in chapter 11, starting to spread all over the earth and working our way down to Abraham. And the, the question is, can we even read our history at this point? And I have another book here written by a, uh, this is not a Christian book, this is a heathen book, and it is the, if you'll excuse the pun, the best book written about Noah's Ark by Robert Best here. That's an inexcusable pun, I understand, but. Um, I didn't get it. Okay, I'll have to explain <laughs> it to you someday. Did you get it, Pete? I, I wasn't paying attention. Oh, yeah, me neither, actually. You were looking at that word going, what is a Zisudra epic? Zisudra, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is the ancient word for the man with the boat. Okay. Uh, a very fascinating word. That's a Sumerian word. Uh, shortly thereafter, when the, the Gilgamesh epic was written. Yeah. I don't know if you've read the Gilgamesh. You haven't read it, but you've heard of it anyway. Uh, You know, it's on my pile of books to read near my bed. Oh, it's a pretty quick read. You can blow through it pretty quickly. It's a very strange ancient literature. Zasudra, or actually Zasura, the name has the Sumerian letter Sud in it, and the person who coined or figured out how to to tr- s- pronounce Zasura, just pronounced the letter's name. When he got to the Sud, he just said Zasudra. So it's kind of hard to look up in your Sumerian lexicon. You, ha- you have to be ready to, to catch that curve in order to find it in the lexicon. But other than that, it's the same name. But that's not where I'm going with this, is it? Uh, tangents. Okay. Gesundheit. Uh, God bless you. Frankite? No, I think you've got to wipe down that computer screen of yours. I've just, I've just discovered I'm allergic to Zisudras. Yeah, I can believe that. Well, okay, his name becomes Napishtim. They retell the story, but he's got a new name. And the reason, of course, is because they translated the whole thing and they translated his name too. And Sumerian Zisudra means life everlasting. You have to look it up twice to get the two words and hook them together. Atnapishtim is Akkadian for life everlasting. When we get down to, oh, I didn't look it up, around Genesis chapter 40, we take Joseph over to Egypt with us, and he starts speaking some other language. Uh, Probably the ancient Coptic was the tongue of the pharaohs, uh, according to the guy who 
figured out how to crack the code in the Rosetta Stone. He studied Coptic, and that gave him the, the first step to. Okay, okay, Don, I gotta, I gotta slow you down. I gotta ask, uh, probably what Deb asked you after three dates. Where's this going? Where are we oh, going? Oh, I'm almost there. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I was waiting for the breakthrough. Okay. Okay. Uh, Napishtim now gets translated, family records, to the ancient Egyptian word for uh, everlasting life, which is, can anyone guess? It's a little symbol with a loop on the top and a Mm -hmm. cross. It's called the the Ankh. Yeah. That's correct. So, Noah gets called Ankh at this point. And Ankh, if you write it out instead of using the little simple, is uh, arm, uh, water, and the last one is, oh dear, it's a a circle filled in that I believe is a throat, but they'll tell you it's a placenta when you're reading ancient Egyptian, which is, of course, wrong, and I'll explain it. I often get throat and placenta confused. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway. um, When I'm reading ancient Egypt, I don't run into those. and by the way, this is not the way you talk to a scientist. So I'm just telling you, and Don's going somewhere. This is how you talk to a historian or an hist- no, a historian or an historian. This is how we're supposed to say it. Well, this this is what's fun about talking to Don is you you think you're talking to a scientist sometimes. Like, did you actually know? And he'll he'll go into all this, and it's it's fascinating. So we and used to bring him to the history. Yes, we used to bring you to the Mayan calendar event, and you know it was like unloading a double barrel shotgun when people are like, "Yeah, man, it's the end of the world." And Don was, was talk about the Mayan calendar. It was a lot of fun. All right, carry on, Don. Okay, so we're in ancient Egypt now, and and we're we've got this word "onk" for everlasting life, which is trans uh, spelled. Uh, I no, I'm using Hebrew now. Uh, arm water and throat or placenta or whatever it is, depending on who you believe. And that gets translated, transliterated into Hebrew at this point. They forget everlasting life and just take the sound. Ankh. The only thing is, is the ah is uh, an ayin, which you don't really usually pronounce in Hebrew. The, mm. the Arabs will argue with you and say that you do. So we just have nun chet in in Hebrew, the two letters that spell Noah. So you, you pull out your, here it is, your, you got to hold it, uh, not this way, but this way. Uh, you, you open that to Noah, uh, to, to chapter six, seven, eight, and you see Nun Chet every time his name comes up. And of course, that's pronounced Nach or something to that effect. You have to spit on the fellow you're talking to to say it right. And by the time we get a hold of it, we turned it into Noah because we don't like to spit on people when we talk. So that's Noah's name, Sidra, and the path that it took through history to become Noah in our Bibles. So who Sidra is, is the original Noah. And it's been translated maybe half a dozen times, but at least four times on the way to us. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because the Bible... The Bible would have been written, obviously, at a much later date than this, and the oral tradition would have existed. So when you talk to a skeptic, Don, and he says, well, you know, I mean, of course you would think that, but really what happened is whoever compiled Genesis, and we know it wasn't Moses, ha, 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 um, whoever that was, uh, notice how I put that villain, that kind of, <laughs> you know, like twirling my mustaches, um, 
And he says, look, uh, obviously he just pilfered the old legends, right? How do you answer that and say, no, actually the, this is, this was Noah. This is the Noah of the Bible. Um, how do you, how do you answer that? as a scientist, as someone with a grasp on We have the original account of Sidra. It talks about the raven and the, and the dove. And it talks about all the animals being on the ark. Oh, I, I should probably put up a picture here. Do I have permission to? Of course. To add something. How do I do that? I, Karen taught me. Actually, actually Pete objects to this. Pete, Pete says no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. How do I do it? There oh. should be a share screen button. On share your screen. Bar. Right under your nose when you I have look to look at under your, my nose. Yeah, look at your nose on the screen and it'll say oh, share screen with somewhere. an arrow pointing up. It's green. Oh, 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 share. There it is. My daughter did teach me how to do that, but that doesn't mean I'm smart enough to do it. And we may need to give you permission. Aha. Don Stoner has started. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, I see whoa. clay pots. I see tablets. I see obelisks. Yeah, well, books. do you see uh, the historical context for the book of Genesis? Hey, hey, wait a second. I, I see Don Stoner's book, one of them up there. I just pulled that oh, up. Oh, Who Designed God. Yeah, that, I'm trying to advertise it there. If you click on it, you get that. But what we're trying to do right now is the historical context for the book of Genesis by some strange fellow there. And uh, this is Sumerian here. This is a list of all the animals. It's a, a book on on biology, specifically zoology. It's a complete list of every known animal that hang out, hung out in the plain between the rivers. Okay, here's a map wow. of, of ancient Sumer. It looks a lot like Iraq, because that's where it is. We have the Euphrates and the, the Tigris or, or Tiger River, the Swift River up here. Wow. And we have a row of ancient cities here and another row of ancient cities here. Mm. And those are the cities that were before the flood when that's where the two rivers ran. Um, you can no reconstruct the geology there. And the, the flood, it's hard to know how far out it went, but at least it went far out enough to, to shift the rivers all the way out to here. I'm guessing, oh, 30,000 square miles, something like that for, for the area here. Well, most people would say, most Christians would say, well, didn't the flood cover the entire earth? Uh, I was going to go there. Because covered I've had this conversation with him. That's why I thought I'd bring it up. <laughs> okay. I was waiting. I was waiting to go there. Well done, Pete. Wait a second, Don. It should it have been covered. higher than Mount Everest, and it should have covered the entire planet. Because that's okay. what the Bible says. We need to study some words here. Uh, first of all, it covered all the land, Eretz, under the sky. Shamiyam. Okay, it, those words can be tra translated uh, heaven and earth, and earth could mean, at least to somebody post-Galileo, a sphere orbiting the sun, or uh, Copernicus anyway. But to the ancient Sumerians, if you wanted to say universe, you'd say sky and, and dirt, basically, and everything in between. So it covered all of the dry land under the sky which is absolutely true. Any flood this big, if you've ever been out in a boat offshore, uh, even 30 miles offshore, you sort of don't see the shore very well if it's anything like flat. And it turns out ancient Iraq or modern Iraq for that ma matter is completely flat. 
I don't happen to have a picture of it with me. I think I think where people get in trouble is they want to absolutely be faithful to the biblical text, which is a good thing. We right. all do. Good right? place to start. If if the Bible says it covered the entire globe, and I remember back in the days, um, <laughs> I, I don't want to trigger you, Don, but um, Ken Ham, you know, who built that weird arc thing, um, oh, he so used nice. to take it. He was yeah, but what I'm saying is, you know, uh, I think a lot of damage has been done by people doing apologetics poorly. And what he would do is he would take a globe and he would put it in a bucket of water and say, "Do you mean this? If you don't mean this, you're not being." faithful to the Bible. And I disagree because if the biblical writer was looking around and saying it covered everything as far as the eye could see and use that language that you're talking about, then we are being faithful to the text. Even if we say, no, it was a localized flood. We are not, we are not in, and really, I mean, to be honest, like if we believe that all known civilization at that time was living in that region, um, then it would be possible to say that all people had died and, and yada, yada, and then it'd start over. It's not that you're approaching the Bible with the hermeneutic of disbelief, but you're approaching your own interpretation of ancient writers with a hermeneutic of caution. If my understanding of the Bible disagrees with my understanding of the uh ancient history or ancient geology or anything scientific, I look for errors in my own understanding mm. instead of errors in either the Bible or in the scientific evidence. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm doing things. here. I'm reading the, the ancient history and seeing what what happened in the geological evidence, which is the, the flood left a bathtub ring. If you'll excuse my figurative explanation, you could trace that's the sediments. That's, that's how I understand things. That, and, that I know, okay, right? Yeah, and that's, I was like, I get this. <laughs> you know how big the flood was because there's evidence for it. You can carbon hmm. 14 date these sediments. It was 2900 BC. That's 4,900 years ago. Unless I want to add 20 years for the, for the present 20 years, we are past the second millennium. Um, Let's, let's be a little bit more exact if we can, please, Don. Okay, yeah. the only problem uh, what with that month, is... What month, what month and what week of the month? Nine because... o'clock in the morning, of course. <laughs> 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 to quote uh, the famous... <laughs> oh, come on, was his name Lord Archbishop Futters? Usher? Yeah, Usher, that's the guy. Yeah. Okay, uh, Lightfoot went farther than that. But... It, the idea here is we have the evidence and all we have to do is say, gee, if we use the a correct understanding of our word earth, Eretz in the Hebrew, and something else in the, in the Sumerian, which I didn't bother looking up, so I can't tell you, and Shamayim in the Hebrew for sky, if we believe that completely, we... We understand what happened. 30,000 square miles worth of puddle. Wow. We have a double fix on it. We have the so that covered Arcus. Ararat. That covered uh, Mount no, Ararat. No, it did not cover Ararat. Ararat's farther away. It's in fact, it's far enough away, all the way over in Turkey somewhere, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That it's around the curvature of the Earth, and you can't see it at all. Okay. In fact, there are no mountains, anything we would call a mountain, anywhere in this whole area. Okay. As far as you can see, well, for example, here we can look across the ocean and see Catalina. In fact, we missed the first 600 feet of Catalina because the stuff down near the water is hidden by the curvature of the earth when we stand on the beach. 
Wait a second, Don. The Earth is flat. Yeah, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just had to say. I got down center. I got to pretend to be a flat earther. I can can see it. 30 seconds. Okay. The moon is hollow. It's a space station. I can see it from you, Peyton. That's great. The motto of the Flat Earth Society is any fool can look out his window and tell that the Earth is flat. I mean, how can you argue with that, really? (laughs) Okay. There's no such thing as atoms and molecules. I can't see them. (laughs) Okay. It turns out we're not fools, and we're going to go ahead and pretend it's round for the purpose of this discussion. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Maybe Galileo was right after all, but that was actually, actually, even Columbus wasn't pushing for that. He was in league with Lucifer. All right. Go on. Possibly. Hard to know for sure. Use that devil uh, source. Okay, where, science, where so. are we? I've, my train of thought. Okay, is okay. We we're so talking about air at for a second. 33,000 oh. square miles of puddle. Yeah, but it doesn't go that far. Right. You so so the ark did not land on Ararat. That's did that was like on, the common creation. The, the mountains of Ararat or something rather than Mount Ararat, which is a whole different thing. Right. Okay. There are some lower mountains off to the if I remember correctly, the eastern edge of this valley here, that the the word again har, the Hebrew word for mountain, is also the Hebrew word har for hill. So we have the hills and the high hills, or something like that. Now, what's a hill in in um, come on, I'll get it, ancient Sumer uh, or ancient Iraq? And the answer is, it isn't much. You have to go a ways to get to anything that we would even consider a, a proper hill. But yeah, anything that you could stand on and breathe, and I just lost Peyton off of this here. He, he, had to, he had to go check the delivery guy or some, something All like right. that. This is a professional I'll, podcast here. Nothing okay, but professional. no flies on us. We're, we're just like downtown. Okay. Now, now I've lost my train of thought again, or maybe it's the hills. left the station going the wrong way or something. Okay, we're, we're trying to tie these hills in. After the flood, they started building towers they called ziggurats all over the place. And they were really tall things. They may have been 50 feet high and something like, something like that. And the reason for building these things so high was so the next time God tried to flood them all, they could climb up on these towers and survive. Mm. They were high enough that they could get above those floodwaters, which I think it said uh, 15 cubits and all the hills were covered, which you imagine Mount Ararat sand sitting underneath 15 cubits of water on top of it, which is cutting it pretty close if you consider the height of the mountain and then another 22 and a half feet or whatever 15 cubits works out to be, depends on whose cubit you're using, I guess. Um the people who were there and knew better knew that uh, 50 feet would have been good enough if God used the exact same method of destroying the earth, which, of course, God promised he wouldn't do. But these fellows didn't trust him and decided to make provisions. So all over this place are these little towers that they're supposed to escape from God on so that God can't get them again. So this is all part of the... Um, so let's not make a boat. Let's make a tower. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was their plan next time. Okay. So how many animals did uh, the joke is Moses take on the ark? And the answer is not very many unless there were worms in the manor or something. But 
the ones Noah took on the ark are listed here on on this thing. If my picture's still up, yeah. And so we know how big the ark had to be for that. And another problem here is a, a king's list over here. Is does my mouse show on? Yeah. Okay. So this is a a list of all the kings. Uh, if you read through, well, first of all, in Genesis chapter one, you've got the creation story and said these these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in the in the day that they were created, or Bayom they were created in day or at the time when it's a better translation. This little red thing down here, or the red box around this thing, here's a blow up of it, is called the colophon on a clay on a clay tablet. And it says this book is the book of such and such, and then it has an attempt at a date. Now when they were created was about the best you could come up with for a date back then. But the reason for this King's list is so that we can have dates. Uh, huh. I don't remember the name of these Kings. We have antediluvian Kings, meaning Kings before the flood. We have then the flood covered everybody. And this is a, if I remember correctly, a Sumerian Kings list. There's its colophone down here in the corner. Um, corner, one of the faces anyway, it talks about the flood on it, but only as a, a mention to put it in chronology. So if you're, if you say in the Gilgamesh would be down at the bottom somewhere, if you say in the third year of King Gilgamesh, so-and-so was born, then they would know when it was and you'd go back through and add up how many years this king lived and everything and you you'd calculate a date. So it, uh, it was an improvement to go to other dating systems, with they which they eventually did, but this was the startup system, and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, which is when writing apparently was invented. Right then, at the beginning, it says, "These are the generations of the heavens and earth, and the best they could do for a date was when they were created." Completely useless to anyone now. Oh, I should probably mention while I'm here that the word day in Moses' day, as in the day of Gilgamesh or any of these other fellows, it can be as the same as it is in our day, a period of time other than 24 hours. Some people, that's all they need to hear. Other people, you have to go through all the arguments the, the young earthers making a number with the word day and everything and show why all of them are uh, refuted by biblical usage. But in any case, it's it's easy enough to understand the days as being periods. What else is there? Okay, let me let me ask you this because the the other question at the beginning of Genesis is it says not just a day, but it also says a morning and an evening. He he woke yom achad. Yeah. So what, I, I I understand your your Hebrew perfectly. Right. So it's so, it it insinuates in the English version that, that means a twenty four hour period because it's saying. Well, that's what you've been told, and therefore you understand it. And of course, you, it says that in plain English, rather right, than. Of course. And by the way, that's what I speak. Just not very well. Yeah. Okay. Well, good for you. Okay. Me too. I'm I'm working on English. Vayhi uh, Arab and was or and were same word, except that they added vowel points after the Jews rejected their Messiah. Or maybe I should say we Jews rejected our Messiah since I have male lineage Jewish ancestry. Sorry about that. Only became stoner when we moved. Did I say this already? Am I repeating myself? That's all right. Let's get back to the, the get word. Get back to, to the real stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Jews reject their Messiah and 
after that, they kind of reject some of their scriptures. They stop using the Septuagint, for example, and start hunting through the Hebrew scriptures and only copy the ones that they like. And some point later, they put vowel points on everything, so you get verb tense, which you never had in Hebrew before. Back in this time, it could have been uh, plural and singular of evening and morning are the same in Hebrew, like uh, Evening is Arab, evenings is Arab. There, there was or were an, an evening or there were e evenings, it's all the same. You're making noises. Shall we wait for the train to go by or is, is that, it's gone already, that was quick. All right. Uh, I couldn't get to my mute fast enough, sorry. <laughs> you, you can say, and there were evenings and there were mornings the first day. It means the same thing. And unless you're going to pick on the vowel points and say, no, it's the vowel points, which the Jews added after they crucified Jesus, then, then you can make an argument for a single day and, and evening or morning and evening. But before then, it could have been time passed. In fact, uh, we use the evening and morning or day and night the same way today as the ancient Hebrews did. If you go through the Bible and look at the uses of evening and morning, Moses' son, or Aaron's sons are to keep the sacrifice, the fire burning before the Lord evening and, and morning. It, it doesn't mean 24 hours and then you stop. It means evenings and mornings. You're supposed to do it. You go to an uh, AM, PM mini market. It's an evening and morning market. I tried this. Um, walk in. I walked in there just to see what would happen. I had to do it, even though I know I was making a fool of myself. I asked the fellow behind the counter who looked just like, like he coming might, on this podcast. Yeah, he, he's probably <laughs> listening to me right now. It, who looked like he was from Pakistan or possibly India, which is fairly typical for the guys running the, the stuff in my neighborhood. Most nobody else has jobs. It turns out, like myself. Anyway, he's got a job. He's working there, and I said. Uh, do you, when do you, what are your hours? And he, although he looked like he was perhaps from India, he looked at me like I was from Mars because I had just walked under letters three feet high saying AM, PM, meaning continuously day and night, as it's still meant in Hebrew. And when we say we're open day and night or we're open 24 hours, that means we never close. And the same is true in, the, in Genesis. When evening and morning is used in the Old Testament, it almost always means day after day, continuously. So when they say evening and morning proves it's 24 hours, it means they didn't actually check to see. That's what that comes down to. So you're saying that it, there was evening and morning means that there's a continuous pattern after that. Yeah. That's that it was open for business. This was going some, on. Something to that effect. It's hard to know exactly what a document this old was really thinking. But So this is interesting because for me, I've often thought to myself that it exactly that, that I look at the, you know, the age of the earth. I look at all that. And like you said, the first thing I do is I go to my, my, um, what do you call it? My, um, Hebrew lexicon. My inter no, I go to my no that scares me. I go to the uh, interpretation that I've held because I you know I was told what to think. I mean, most of us were told what to think when we first became Christian. Somebody said this is what that means, and we went oh. And then because the Bible's often under threat, we were told 
This is what that means. And if you think differently, you're a liberal and you're part of the problem. You don't believe the Bible. So then you, you hunker down and you even entrench in the type of thinking you were told, even if there's no evidence, you're trying to be faithful to the biblical text. But for me, years ago, I remember I read your book, um, A New Look in an Old Earth, which convinced me right away from a hermeneutic of belief and integrity and respect for the Bible. You taught me my interpretation was suspect, not the Bible. Never is the Bible suspect. My interpretation of it may be. So I read that. It changed my view. Uh, we went a long way from Don Stoner's a heretic to Don Stoner changed my views. Then, then, so I read that and I start to play around. I know I've, I've, I've mentioned this to you when I should have been working on the textbook. Don, by the way, was my, uh, he was like, uh, I should say Robin to my Batman when I wrote that, right? He was, uh, he was in the Batcave, uh, at another desk the whole time. It was rad, but, you know, what, what happened was, um, if he was Robin, what was I that girl, <laughs> you were Alfred. Okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, you just checked on me occasionally and make sure I was okay. Right. Actually, I don't even think I did. I'm like, ah, he's all right. Master yeah, he's yeah. All right. once a week we checked in. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. Um, I started to play around with the idea. Well, look, there's this punctuated equilibrium in the fossil record. What does that mean? I remember talking to an atheist who goes, if I were looking at Genesis, I'd be looking at that. And I'd be looking back at Genesis and looking at the fossil record. Why do these things suddenly appear? Why does life suddenly seem to appear overnight? Why does it seem like there's suddenly this explosion of certain types of life? And then boom. So ebook on the subject. Really? Origins, a skeptic's guide to the creation of life on Earth by an evolutionist named Robert Shapiro. Nice. He goes through the mathematics and proves that it couldn't have happened and then goes ahead and says, well, I believe it anyway, and gives a bunch of different crazy theories, including Fred Hoyle's that there are gods made out of silicon that are out in space somewhere that did it, or Francis Crick, who has half of the the Crick and Watson um, D, uh, Nobel Prize on figuring out the DNA molecule. This, says, this is why I'm saying that everybody, there's a blend. When you really scratch a scientist hard enough, he's eventually going to go back to aliens or something like that. Well, uh, we have two of this. Oh, th this origin books is, is really a fun read. Everyone should read it, in my opinion. But then I have my own reading list, of course. There's a, a skeptic who climbs a mountain to talk to the Gru and finally asks, what is the meaning of life? And the Gru says, life is a fountain. I'm confusing stories here. And the, the, in, in one of the stories, the skeptic says, what do you mean? Life is, that's a stupid answer. So the Gru says, life is not a fountain, which must be true, <laughs> of course. Okay, we, we have a slightly different story for this particular thing. He asks, what's the meaning of life? And and uh, the, the guru, I can't remember the first day, uh, says something like, um, maybe the, the skeptic says, we don't really want life, life as a skeptic. I want a scientific answer. Or I, I want to, to know some kind of 
a, a different kind of answer. So he tells tells the, the maybe Inuit story of Father Raven, how there was also a burden and. Uh, Father Raven created the bird and something else, and the bird helped him do other stuff. And the guy says, no, 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 I want a scientific theory. So he says, okay, we'll do this seven days. You come back every day, and you can correct me every time, and I'll try a new story. And so they go through all the, the different theories that men have had one at a time and blow them all away until they come up with uh, – the Big Bang, Fred, Fred Hoyle, uh, and then cosmic evolution where there's a warm little puddle somewhere, Darwin's warm little puddle, where um, the right kind of molecular chemistry just happens and something crawls out of the puddle eventually and evolves into everything else. And the skeptic says, I like that that theory and i presume scientists all believe that now and he says well no this is not the sixth day it's more like the fourth or fifth day i'd forgotten there are a few holdouts and then he talks about fred hoyle and and francis crick and their theories and their reasons for disbelieving the the warm little puddle theory and these are the the two extraterrestrials fred hoyle says god is a silicon chip um francis crick gives the the superman story the planet evolved somewhere else where there's a different ancient history and their planet blew up and they couldn't couldn't even send a baby off in their rocket ship so instead they sent dna to earth and it shows up prometheus something like prometheus yes mm. the the god who stole fire for men yeah okay have you, um, have you seen the prometheus no. film yeah, he's oh, the alien. He's, you're talking okay. You're not talking about Greek mythology. You're talking well, I, about I, I, popular sort of. culture. No, I no, think so, I've seen it, but all movies run together in my head by now. This is exactly what Ridley Scott does in Prometheus. He takes exactly that theory. Okay, he stole it from it. Robert Shapiro. Yeah, or he somebody. Did. No, he did. I, I actually saw YouTube, and everything on YouTube's true, and it said that in YouTube. Okay, I'll buy that. Especially your podcast, right? Are you <laughs> right. on YouTube? <laughs> Okay, where where are we? Well, okay. you, were, you were saying about you know it's so. Do all DNA. scientists believe this? Well, no. Or are more coming around? No. The, I'm afraid these guys are regarded as crazy. Well, can we try something else? And he says, okay, come back Sunday, and we'll do it one last time. And and he pulls out his Bible and reads to to the to the inquirer, the, the pilgrim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the guy, wait, stop, stop. I thought we agree we're not going to do religion. And he said, well, okay, this uh, may be religion and it may be good religion, but um, there actually are some people who claim it's science. And then, of course, he talks about the young earthers instead of the old earthers because they're a lot more fun than we old earthers are. And he says, uh, this is the story. They claim it's scientific. And uh, the skeptic cuffs off in disgust and says, sorry, uh, I don't buy that either. And, uh, and the guru says, well, I tried. I did my best. You've had seven shots at it, and you don't like any of them. It's, it's time for you to go and, and look elsewhere for answers, which is how Robert Shapiro then ends his book. Each one of these is a chapter about some new creation of life theory. And 
they're all they're all great chapters and fun to read and they all get shot down and then Robert Shapiro is there so what do we believe now and he dismisses the young earth theory out of hand he didn't interview me for an eighth chapter but I, I would have been the eighth one anyways so I wouldn't have got my turn and he says well okay the math is against it it seems to be totally improbable but maybe there's a way it all happened and then as a neck uh, and I'm going to believe it happened anyway. That's how the book ends. And his next book, which is was a little bit like Fred Hoyle's book, Evolution from Space. Uh, Francis Crick's book was called Life Itself. What was Shapiro's next book called? I showed you Origins already. Um, something about uh, From the Stars. It was a little bit like like Hoyle's evolution from space, but it basically was encouragement to get our space act together so we can go out and explore the rest of the universe so we can answer the question, which we haven't been able to answer. And I'm saying the answer is here, and it was very close to the Sunday's tale, but somebody messed up the details was all and was preaching the wrong gospel. That's, so that's pretty cool. Next? That's what pretty cool. So, okay. So that's pretty cool. Um, there's so much, like we got 15 minutes. So uh, I, I suppose Don to answer the question, because my mind's going, I'm sure like Pete's a million different directions. Sorry about the cutting there. Let me close this door. Nothing but a professional podcast. <laughs> You you want to take it Only to Joseph? It's the next interesting stuff. He's got some fun stuff. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's it's sort of hard to tie it down with history, because they're mostly nomadic shepherds and drop in on what was Egypt back then. But Egypt wasn't very powerful at the time. Pharaohs didn't get buried in pyramids. They got buried in mud huts and. That they didn't have written language or anything. They had written language in Sumer. But when we get to Joseph, he gets, of course, sold into slavery, shows up in, in Egypt, hangs out with Potiphar, if I remember the name correctly, and gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife, gets thrown in prison, and interprets the dreams of a couple other prisoners, one, one of which is according to his dream, gets executed the next day, and the other one gets restored to Pharaoh, but forgets about Joseph. And sometime later, Pharaoh has this dream about uh, sheaves of, uh, of grain and, and cows, seven, and, seven fat ones, seven thin ones each time, and wants to know what's going on. And uh, the fellow who was restored to his position said, oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, there's this guy in prison who can interpret those kinds of dreams, and he's been sitting and rotting because I forgot to mention that he helped me get out. Uh, sorry about that. Um, Pharaoh says, okay, have him brought to me. And Joseph, I'm, I'm trying to guess how a Hebrew would have pronounced it. There's no J, so it's not Joseph. They don't have a, G, a D, Z, H. J is silent. Yeah. Joseph uh, probably is how you'd say this guy's name. And 
he's dragged in. He maybe doesn't speak Egyptian very well yet, might have an interpreter, I'm not sure. He's a quick study and picks things up real fast and certainly spoke Egyptian very soon thereafter, if not yet. Uh, Pharaoh says, hey kid, what's your name? And he says, Yosef, of course. And Pharaoh's an old guy like me, he's kind of hard of hearing and says, Hotep, which is a nice common Egyptian name. You see it all over all over the ancient Egyptian stuff. Sounds kind of like Yosef. And poor Yosef says, uh, no, he has to correct Pharaoh. I don't know if you're supposed to correct the king or not, but it's Yosef. Yotep? Yeah. The sound yeah is Hebrew for assuming he's speaking Hebrew, this is post-Sumerian, don't know what he's speaking, but M, the, the meme is how you say with, and then Osef, the other, dropping the Y, Yim uh, Osef, like that. And unfortunately, Ye is Egyptian for come, Me is the Egyptian for in, and Hotep is the Egyptian for peace. So he says, come in peace. So Pharaoh says, huh, you come in peace? I'm making this whole story up. It's not written anywhere. But it's what you would imagine something like this happening. If you've ever heard me try to talk to somebody who I'm having trouble understanding, this is the sort of nonsense that happens. And uh, Yosef, maybe through a translator, says, yes, I come in peace thinking maybe I'm missing something here, what's going on? Anyway, at this point, Pharaoh has given Yosef a new name, and his name is Yimi Hotep. And it's- Bubba Hotep, sorry. I'm sorry? I said Bubba Hotep, which is a well, great movie. Well, actually, uh, Yimi Hotep is how you, how you spell it in hieroglyphics, but how it's been pronounced uh, traditionally is Imhotep. And he is more famous than the Pharaoh he served, Joser. He was second pharaoh, third kingdom, old, di uh, old dynasty, try again, second pharaoh, third dynasty, old kingdom. There, I got it right. I have to close my eyes to see it. Pharaoh Djoser, 2650 BC approximately is when when he's in charge of, of, uh, of this. The flood is 2900 BC. Once you straighten out all the translation errors, including the factor of 10, in the Genesis genealogies and using the Septuagint for when the first child is born instead of the Hebrew, which is a little worse mangled than the Septuagint, you find out that the average age for the first birth of the son is about 19 years. There's maybe 12 or 13 years before or between uh, Noah and, and Joseph. So you multiply that by 19, add it to 2900 BC, which is a uh, carbon 14 date. So we don't really know how accurate it is other than it's probably off by quite a bit, could be easily a hundred years off. But when you, you do the numbers, it says 2650 and you look for, oh, gee, who's the Pharaoh then? And you get Joser with this person who's the first, second in command. Pharaoh says, Imhotep, you're pretty amazing. Uh, I'm going to put you in charge of of maintaining everything in my uh, my kingdom. According to the ancient hieroglyphics, 
Imhotep was the first second-in-command under Pharaoh. According to a more recent forgery, he also interpreted Pharaoh's dream and saved Egypt from a seven-year famine. Now, why? Wow. Yeah. So you these. Know, why haven't so, we heard about this story if it's carved in hieroglyphics and everyone knows about it? And it's because the emphasized word is forgery, not saved Egypt from a seven-year famine. We don't want that in our textbooks. So we hide it. This is a forgery. Priests of Kuhn forged it. Now, if I'm going to forge a document or perhaps counterfeit a $100 bill, whose picture am I going to put on it? Probably Davy Crockett? Or will I try I to make it look believable? The priest right. of Kuhn doing a forgery would look up Menon or whatever the ancient authorities they have and try to make it as look as much like the authentic document as possible. And then the last thing they add to it, and of course, since the priest of Kuhn, Hep, Kuhn, K-H-U-N or something, I may be selling this is This is just a, a, a wrap it up notice. We have 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Okay. Anyway, this is how they, they said, uh, everybody owes us money because we helped Imhotep. And so we have a document and we're trying to make sure that we don't give the Christians too much credibility. That's awesome. Well, hey, so, I mean, I wish our podcast was longer today because it's all super fascinating. And the well, answer to the question this again next week, for sure. Well, actually, I'm away again next week, but maybe you week and after Pete, it's a good thing you're telling them now. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Really? I'm now away next to hear week, about but it. maybe you and Pete, I'll let you two work it out. But here's the thing. Uh, the answer to the question, do I believe Genesis? Heck yeah. The answer is yes. And here are some of the reasons. I have a million more questions, but we're so busy doing other things that we just can't keep up on all of our bookkeeping and IRS compliance needs, can we, Pete? You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm usually trying to do so much study with my uh, Septuagint lexicon and uh, my history books. I just don't have time to take care of payroll and taxes and all of that. No time for him, Otep. No time for payroll. No time for him. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is a Septuagint. Okay, okay. It, it mean, meaning 70, right? Isn't that what it means? Yes. Book of 70. So here's the thing, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We want to tell you real quick, if you need, trust me, if you need IRS compliance, if you need anything to do with bookkeeping, go to Simplify Church. They rock. They help me get that, uh, uh, what is it, the payroll protection program, those loans that were being handed out to churches. They are the bomb. You definitely want to check into them. So make sure you check into Simplify Church. They're there to serve you as a church planner. And Sermon Boss. Don't forget our other sponsor, Sermon Boss. If you want to keep everything in the same place at the same time, all of your podcasts, all of your sermons, all your YouTube, when people visit your website, they need a one-stop shop. You don't want to send them out to all these different places, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Keep them all in one place with the Sermon Boss plugin. Go to SermonBoss.com. Tell them that Peyton and Pete sent you. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell and our very special guest on a very special episode tonight of the Church Planner Podcast with Don Stoner, Mad Scientist. We'll be back with Don for episode three. 
maybe four. This is getting good, and I have a million questions. I'm sure you do, too. Thanks for joining us today. This has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you, if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, need to go where nobody's going, and do what nobody's doing. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music